Greetings. This is Larry D. Giles here. It's 4.57 on September 9th, 2021. An overcast, cloudy, after the heavy rain day, which kind of relates to the theme of the piece I'm going to read. A chapter from the book I'm currently working on. Um, a little more background. I'm writing each chapter to be complete in and of itself, but also to link to the other chapters. This chapter, called Fishtail, refers not to a narrative, T-A-L-E, a story, but to a sudden misdirected or jerky movement, or in this case, use of resources. The deeper under level uh, of the piece refers to black culture uh, in the 50s, the decade in which I grew up. Um, that culture being challenged by greed racism, and many other factors, history itself, relationships with the land, relationships between blacks and whites, and relationships between people. In this case, between um, a husband and his wife, and my grandfather, myself, and the people they knew. The perspective is that of an adult, that adult is myself, who remembers childhood with, I hope, maturity and understanding, but with also a childlike half-knowing, uh, a kind of presence, which is sometimes joyful, but also sad, as I suffered from depression as a kid. The title of the piece again is Fishtail. Also, I'm thinking about submitting this to a larger project being sponsored or overseen by a colleague of mine, which focuses on um, life along the Rappahannock River. Fishtail from the boy beside the woods. Blue as water or maybe the sky. I often wondered why my grandfather never went to the river or going over the hill through a patch of briars as if remembering he would suddenly turn back. Though the river was only a few miles from my grandparents' farmhouse, mostly no one I knew went. Not the men at my great-aunt's store, not any of my mother's people. Maybe not even the fishman, red and dry as a rag. Dragging behind the tailgate of the beat-up truck that was not bothered on helping anyone, the old waterman stood in a sudden tailwind of leftover odors. And though my grandfather 
a praying man with steady hands, bought a few of the freshest for reasons I didn't exactly know. All week we ate, looking out across the field with few words. And the brim or carp, which maybe a time or two had been bright, then also sometimes smelled. They smelled both before we ate them and after, and sometimes a few days after that, surviving just a little like a life you wanted to remember but couldn't. Scaling them at the well, grandmother said they had turned out to be a right nice mess, but would be better with the right amount of pepper and salt, something we didn't have enough of and borrowing a little from our neighbors. Still got the breath of life in them, even when you think they're dead, she added after an afterthought without thinking. I don't know if the fish man whom she said was a kind of throwback from his family of well-off siblings always got them on time either. In the icy blue water where grandmother's hands could have as well been a wand, sometimes a tail moved, sometimes a dead colored eye looked back. Other times there was no sign of life or death. Her hand moved anyway, the guts oozing, flipping with a hopeless kind of gurgle. And out of nowhere, Collie, not then afraid of scales and bones, spun quickly to retrieve them with a soundless gulp. A little listless and looking a lot like she could have been the fishman's sister, the drunk woman down the hill went to the swamp, I think, or somewhere behind her shack. Her husband, when he was not threatening her with a fistful of hooks, went somewhere too. For a string of perch, even cat if he could be so lucky. But I don't think it was the river. Slowly mashed into the flapjack of his hat, he would walk through the straggly locusts up the high sandy gate to the porch where we sat in the shade, his smoky cigar lips turning themselves involuntarily into the half-lighted shadows of long cast-out lines. Got quite a batch today, Granddaddy would say, drawing his stick in the unwatered yard just to say something. Guess you go slip me and Sugar a quarter's worth. My son home from the service. Grabbing the foot tub, the man's wife, straggly as a switch or bag of old lures, had placed water and a few chinkles of ice on the sobbing boards. Halfway foaming at the mouth, the man who was kind of my grandfather's friend was tired from the journey and groaned like two fishing sticks painfully untangled from one another. Uh, not today, Uncle Willie. My whole neck about to dry it up. I went off yonder and stole in there. Hope they don't put me off yonder somewheres. I think he was speaking of some 
runoff of the swamp. The then shallow black hole that gaped behind him out beyond the porch, then down through the dark woods, which I was afraid he would fall into if it hadn't already dried up. Dry from the long white summer, the wife had become a sack of straw or brown bean husks that were spilling into the muted air without her wanting them to, and the hooch which she had had up the hill wasn't helping. She struggled with the clean white enamel pan she was offering. I think she could tell her husband was his old self, not the squishy young teen, swishy young teen she remembered asking her grandmama for her hand in his one white shirt. The long, slow push from all sides where there should have been freedom was more than she wanted to remember, but it stirred anyhow in the wandering air. Excuse me, station break, my computer's giving me a pop-up. But it stirred. She struggled with the clean white enamel pan she was offering. I think she could tell her husband was his old self, not the swishy young teen she remembered asking her grandmama for her hand in his one white shirt. The long, slow push from all sides where there should have been freedom was more than she wanted to remember, but it stirred anyhow in the wandering air somewhere between here and there. The depression my father often spoke of when there were no shoes, the war maybe my uncle barely missed, the long Jim Crow trip to nowhere. She didn't know the term, only the twinge of a nigger smell she could sometimes roll around like the words of a ghost between her parched lips. The parts of their life that had no name and were not in books, where the water dripped reluctantly under rusty hooks and chains and poked into the sides and knotty groins of banks already sucked dry. Her red skin, a singular fire barely teeming under an old pan of hope. If she turned her slack hips and her breeches to think, maybe she still loved him. Woman, put on some clothes, he said, slipping the blade into the soft white belly. Alone and even more thin and scarce, the woman who looked like one of the Indian women I had seen in books pulled the chair out near the tub for the fisherman to marble from, which he quickly jerked from her tattered reach and placed where he wanted on the ground. He didn't marvel. 
and I think she had a taste for something that could be comfortable along oceans. And if she wished, reach all the way to the bottom, up on the boards above the sing above a single fern, wanting to beautify the porch. One of the dead fish managed to move in the icy water. Surviving from hay fever, I was kind of turning and thinking suddenly I should not look, even from the one good-eyed it worked. In short pants and a shirt open across his yellow abdomen, the boy swam out of the back room, a corner or shallow maybe, the house that wasn't more than two rooms, with channels that were slack and tattered as old traps barely hanging on to the rising above the deepest pool of the swamp. Not able to exactly look at either of his parents, he spoke. Can I go? Can I go, Mama? He blurted and wiped his mouth. His mama gave him up, Grandmama had said, bent over the rack of the large tub. Maybe something uh, I think happened to her. I forget. A lot of things just happen, you know. It's been so long you forget what might be ailing you. My grandmother thumped against the old rack, needing more water and oxidol to remove all the dirt from the fields grandfather sharecropped. I think she went off somewhere, I reckon. Nothing for you or Collie to think on, child. Maybe somebody took her. It was right much taken back then, as I remember. Right much commotion, too about the boy when he went down yonder. Been there since he was a teensy little minnow thing. Looked just like her. Though, and me too, if you don't reckon. I felt the deep descent of water, the boy looking from the porch into the deep pool below. He could barely hold on to the long, thin railing his father had skint bare. The boy still had guts, though the guts wouldn't look at his father. They say this is the last day you can go, Mama. The boy managed to anyone listening. That man from the old plant, that man from the old plantation house and bought up the place. I, I want to go. I, I don't want to go to the river. I got to go. The boy again insisted still more telling my grandfather than the man in the pillaged hat. The size of a once-ripe melon, the boy's face had shrunk somewhat in a, into a chipped empty bowl, and his father, nor the drunk woman, or my grandfather could put anything in. My grandfather drew a large circle of something, but was slow to put his foot in it. And if he did, he would have to tip. Absent myself, I felt the dry air against my jaw, a reluctant brine of salt and heat and sand wrenched out of many places in the earth, places which then 
hell no light. Tagging behind my aunt in her new cut-off pants with a bathing suit on top, the young uncle home from the service, I felt the release of the water as it pushed against my toes, the sounds of clean black women laughing like before cool jungles and men touching them around their spink-like necks, some with long black elbows that rested on ledges, looking out into forever. The air before the beach restaurant was going in and coming out like something new was breathing, and the women's bracelets glittered, the brown full lips of their husky lovers purse for possibility. A little after my parents separated, and I stayed a lot with my grandparents, I had gone once with my uncle when the tide had stretched out. The shells of many things, shiny and fresh and glowing for the picking, even if you weren't happy, down from a floating cloud, I found, one nice lady said, an arrowhead under my knee and kept it whole and soft in my hand. Water between my toes. I was almost forgetting my mother lived in another house, my father's long trench coat blown away in the wind. If only for a moment, I was forgetting I didn't know where my little brother was, and maybe he did not even like me, and the new parents I seemed to be gaining were both good as bobbers and strange sometimes, and far away as the land across. I gazed randomly into drunk woman's pool, but there was no place to go. Dryness no water. The strangeness I had felt other places as well. Our black neighbor sitting on a basket before the white family's house where he mysteriously lived across the field, I think in the attic alone. He had driven the white children to the only school of more than two rooms or something, but there was no longer a family bus and the county had made new arrangements. Across the long cornfield, which also belonged to the neighbors, as did the small, isolated bungalow my parents rented on the dirt road, the huge, sometimes spooky house where my cousin, whom I didn't know was my cousin, lived with her mother, and kind of crazy grandmother with a portrait <laughs> of an old white man in the back room hanging wet-eyed under some clothes. Let's say the beach gonna close, gonna shut down today, the boy pleaded before the black hole that was quiet and still. To hear this, the uncle I admired, though I didn't often see him, would have sunk like a clean brown stone in the receding current. He loved the beach, the few times I think he went, and the man who ran it. 
All hours, he had said, strutting with his chest full and high. And then, and then even from California, where he had gone to live and serve his country, when many didn't want him, he or any of us never went again. Though there was a hole or something, I think, in the back of the flatlands not far from the Bullnick Road, near my grandfather's house, so secretly tucked into the hanging trees, only an old man with a long history like my grandfather could find it. But with no car, it was often much too far to walk. And Grandfather said sometimes the man who owned the land could be a little funny. I guess a couple of times he and I went anyway because my grandmother could cook a lot of potatoes, too many, and Granddaddy could catch a whole grass bag of fish. We toted them as though they were the last gift on earth and even in an entire continent. A little nervous, the old white man had seen us and would call the law, the one whose land stretched for several miles back and forth and still wasn't sure we should touch the water. Was he the one buying the colored beach? I didn't know, and I soon forgot the thought, and maybe even the river wondering if my own daddy was coming to see me and if the ones I love would be talking about my mother or her father who maybe didn't exist or a grandfather whom she wouldn't say much about lost in history. Now nah, you can't go nowhere, boy, said the squashed hat. Get your little white ass back up in there. My grandfather gave up drawing for prayer. No one could hear. Something I think about Jonah and the whale. And I stopped remembering the beach and maybe even my uncle in service. The drunk woman, maybe sobering, may have thought of the water over the cliff from the shack or what was left of it anything that could cool the burning throat and tongue. But she said, nothing. Under my tongue, I think the spit stung. And the black man who looked like a white man and had been her first true love and the admired elder of my father caught the one swimming fish in his large hand and squeezed it till it foamed out the last drop. Thank you for my attention, your attention rather. This piece is somewhat lengthy. And uh, as you probably know, it's hard to record a, a longer piece without some sort of uh, challenge. But I appreciate your attention and I like this piece very much. Thank you.